0: Welcome to a new edition of Culloden Christian Assembly's Home Bible Study Podcast. We're looking at God's courtroom, Home Bible Studies from Romans chapter 1 to 5. and We're in session number 6, the last session of this little series. It's your host Andrew here, and we're looking at the joy of the justified. That's our target today. We had the Home Bible Study last evening, and we had a lovely time together. And I trust you'll be blessed as you listen in to some of the truths we were discussing and thinking about uh, yesterday. And um, so, first of all, um, you can download the, the um, PDF from um, either the podcast connected to the podcast, um, or you can e- email me and Williamson01 at yahoo.co.uk uh, if you wish to have a copy of the, the handout we used during the uh, Home Bible study. So let's uh, get cracking on this beautiful subject. We'll commit ourselves to the Lord in prayer, and then we will read this wonderful chapter. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for your love, your grace, for your kindness. Uh, we thank you for uh, this uh, privilege we have of turning to such a beautiful portion of God's Word and discussing it and thinking about its truths. We we thank you for the study that took place last evening And for those who participated and helped, Um, and we thank you that we can uh, enjoy your word together and be blessed and built up on our most holy faith. We just pray that this podcast might be a blessing to those who listen in the Lord's name. Amen. Romans chapter uh, 5, please. Romans chapter 5, and we will read the first 11 verses of this um, wonderful book, this wonderful chapter. Verse one, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Now. Hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For Scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of some, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And we know God blesses the reading of his word. So Paul has outlined the gospel of Christ in detail to these first century Christians in Rome. He he wanted them to understand the firm rock that they stand on. In chapter one, after the introduction of the first 16 or 15 verses, he goes into the subject of, of a righteousness that is needed. We are condemned. Uh, we noticed that he set out to prove that no one has a righteousness that they can bring to God. No one has a righteousness that leaves them not guilty in God's courtroom. So put it a different way, as we have in chapter 3, verse 22 to 23, there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this is why we need a righteousness. If we're going to escape God's judgment, there's a righteousness needed. We cannot find it in ourselves, as he outlines in those three chapters, uh, he looks at three different aspects of the human personality. He looks at three different people, as it were, the 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 heathen uh, who has only um, limited revelation through creation, the, the hypocrite who who walks on the clean side of the road and he believes in morality and the religious person, the Jew who who has the law of God. And and whatever angle he looks at, it, each one of them falls short of God's glory, each one of them. Is guilty in the sight of God. So that brings us to chapter 3, 21 to 31. <clears throat> Paul outlines a righteousness without the law, that's without law keeping, that is manifested. A righteousness provided by God on the basis of Christ's death. God's righteousness has been supplied. In chapter 4, 1 to 25, Paul proves that this righteousness is available simply by faith without the deeds of the law, without religious rights. He uses Abraham as a case study. God's righteousness is received by faith. In chapter 5, 1 to 11, Paul now explores what is really meant and what re- it really means to have a righteous standing before God. We could call this chapter really the blessings of justification, that each person who has trusted Christ can be sure that they, they have and so that's what we'll be looking at for the next uh, few minutes in this podcast. The great blessings of justification, or as we've called it, the joy of the justified. The title will become uh, more understandable as we go through. So if you can imagine for a moment, you, you're you walking away from the courtroom and not guilty. verdict has been read out and you're um, just trying to unpack what has happened in your life. Well, it's a little bit like that. The not guilty verdict has been read out over our lives. Christ has paid for our crimes in full. We've been accepted by his uh, provision. Um, we've accepted his provision, I should say, by faith. But what does it mean for our lives? Well, there are three ways we can now rejoice. There's a confidence that we can now have. We we don't need to be enslaved in fear or or, or worried or... Apprehensive, we can have a great joy, again, a great exaltation, uh, a, a boasting even, which is the term that we're going to look at. We can boast in our God. we can boast in His salvation. No, that's not an empty boasting. It's not a, a boasting in any good that's in us. it's in God and what He has provided. And so we make that distinction. So as we do divide the, the section we're looking at today up, we, we do it into three three sections. There's our joy in our future hope, our boasting, if you like, in our future hope. There's our joy in our present distress, verse 3 to, to 10, the second section. And then there's, there's our joy in God. You'll see that if you just underline a few little words in the text itself. You'll notice in verse number two, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's the word boast or joy or rejoice. Okay. So we're rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, our future hope. And then as we move down into the next section, uh, you'll see, and not only that, That's that's not the only joy that we have. There's another great joy, a great blessing that we have. We glory, we joy. We rejoice in in tribulations. Also, we we actually can rejoice in the stresses and pressures and troubles and struggles of life. And he'll tell us why, knowing that tribulation produces things. So we'll think about that. And then we come down to verse number uh, 11. And he says again, and not only that, but we also rejoice or boast, same word again, In God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So really, Paul, if you want to hang these thoughts together in a row, he says, because of our justification, we have a boast about our future hope, the glory of God. Because of our justification, we can have a boast in our present distress, we can have a joy, an exultation in our present distress, a glorying. And finally, he says, we can actually have a boost, a rejoicing in our God. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So let's think of these, these three uh, joys together and try to understand what the passage is really telling us about these joys. Look with me, please, at the first section, our joy in our future hope. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So he's reached this position in the Romans where the person has simply exercised faith in the Lord. They have trusted the Lord, and now they're justified. They've been cleared of every charge of guilt. They've been declared righteous in the presence of God. Now, justification is not to be infused with righteousness. It's not. That's not the thought. It's not the thought that we are made righteous in the sense of our stuff has changed at all. It's a legal standing that we have. We are declared righteous, if you like, in the sight of God. We have been justified by faith. Now, uh, Eva helped us and noticed that, that this is a, a permanent thing, that, that this is something that we presently possess, therefore having been justified by faith. That's in the perfect tense. Now, if I was to say I was justified, that would point to the past, to a point in time when I trusted Christ. But if I'm to say I have been justified, that Points to the fact that whatever happened in the past, the event of justification, it has present significance for me now. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Now, chapter four tells us all about that faith. You go back to that podcast to understand it. Having been justified by faith, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is this is a further development. I use the illustration of 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 people. Uh, getting a present at christmas time and they un- unpack the present and first of all they see the, the the first present as it were the great one and they say thank you very much that's a lovely present and then they open it up and and perhaps there's another present inside the first present and and, and again and again i i've never had that experience as i mentioned but i've seen it happen and really that's what happens with justification by faith so we're cleared of every charge of guilt but that means something else. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is not the peace of God like in Philippians 4. You'll remember those beautiful verses in Philippians chapter 4, where where Paul is writing and he's saying, now listen, you bring all your struggles, your troubles to God. You, you, you speak to him with prayer and thanksgiving. Make your requests known unto God. And the peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, the peace of God in that case is, is the experience of God's peace in our hearts. That's an experiential peace. But here is speaking about something more fundamental. It's speaking about a, a legal peace, if you like. The armistice has been signed, the, the this, this hostilities are over. We are no longer enemies of God. And God has cleared us of all those charges of guilt that are against us, that put us in that place of of enmity with our our, our creator. We have peace with God. We we have a clear sky between our souls and God. Now we might struggle through life. We might have issues with um, the the Lord uh, chastising us and perhaps... Issues where we we learn bit by bit, we all do, uh, how to become more like him. Uh, And that might make us feel unsettled within. But that doesn't change the peace with God that we have, which is based on the blood of Christ. It's based on what Christ has done. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by means of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so... The preposition here is "dia," through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So he says, not only do we have this peace with God, we've been actually introduced; we have access or introduction into a whole realm of grace. It's like we've we've entered through the doors into God's immediate presence. We're standing on His grace, His unmerited favor we now have this this place in front of god now i use the illustration here of of the queen sitting on the throne of england now it's a king now sitting on the throne of england as of the last month or so now it doesn't mean that king charles never gets off his throne or for perhaps you might say that he wears the crown of in England, he's the, he's the king in that sense. Now, it doesn't mean he always wears the crown. What it means is that he fulfills, he, he's, that's his position. It, it tells us that the Lord Jesus is on the right hand of God. It says that he sits on the right hand of God. Now, does the Lord Jesus never move? Well, no, we know the Lord Jesus moves because in Acts chapter 7, you'll remember, we read there of Stephen. Uh, and and he sees a vision of the Lord Jesus. He sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So it's not that the Lord Jesus never moves, but it, he has that position. He He has that seat. Uh, and so we now have been introduced by faith into this grace in which we stand. We've been given a position of grace before God that can never change. Because it's not through us, it's through him. And because of this, because of all that we have being justified by faith, peace with God, we've been brought into this grace. Now we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What's that mean? There's a future thing now. now. We haven't entered into everything yet. No, no, no. There's a hope for the future, a certain hope. We, we can boast. We can rejoice in that hope. Nothing can change that hope. It's there for us. It's the glory of God. Everything that we couldn't have, naturally speaking. We fall short of the glory. of God, But God is going to conform us to his image. We'll glorify him and we'll enter into in a way that we can't perhaps fully explain just now. We'll enter into the glory of God and we can boast in it. We can be sure of it as though we're already there. Now, if we could lose our salvation, let's put this point out. If we could lose our salvation. If somehow we could lose it, first of all, what would this grace really mean, unmerited favor? It wouldn't mean anything. Secondly, how could we ever boast and rejoice and exult in hope of the glory of God? We would always be fearful, whereas we don't see a fearful person here. We see someone who stands in what Christ has done and says, I have it. I'm sure of heaven as if I'm already there. Our joy is in our future hope what about our joy in our present distress because he goes on in, in verse 3 to 10 speak about this he says and not only that that's not the only thing we're, we're not just rejoicing about some future event that has not taken place as yet but we can actually glory in tribulations now now you think of that we're we're not exempt from tribulation we're not exempt from pressures and stresses and difficulties in life in fact because we're christians we might have more of them at times but we understand that there's a purpose to them there's a purpose to those pressures there's a purpose to that distress we know something about that we have an insider knowledge because we know our god knowing that tribulation produces perseverance it helps our character it develops our character it it changes us it produces something good in us it brings us closer to our god this whole subject of sanctification is chapter 5 verse 12 right through to chapter 8 and we're brought eventually to being eternally like his son That's God's purpose for every child of God. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. So I use the illustration here of um, the storm-tossed tree. You see, they tell me trees that have weathered many storms, what they have done is they've grown very deep roots, And as God brings storms and difficulties into our lives, we might not feel like we're rejoicing in our tribulation, but in a sense, we do in this much. Characteristically, we can look back and we can see God was at work in that tribulation. I lean more on the Lord in that tribulation. I develop character in that tribulation. I knew I could trust my God as a result of what happened to me. And in fact, I now have a deeper hope in him than I ever had before because I know whom I have believed. I've laid hold on it. My roots are into the word of God. I've developed. We glory. It's characteristic for Christians to, to find joy even in tribulation because we understand that God has a purpose in it all. You know, often we find today people that say, well, as far as they're concerned, that they, they don't believe there's a God because suffering came along in their life. And, and therefore, if, if there was a good God, there would be no suffering. And, well, the thing is that Christian knows the only hope in suffering is that there is a good God. And that that good God has a good plan. And has a good uh, a good purpose in suffering. And even for the unbeliever, it's to waken them up to realize their need of God. Uh, and so here we have it. Um, we understand it develops character. Now hope, he says, does not disappoint. This is not a hope that's going to be frustrated or, or let us down. Ultimately, it doesn't disappoint, this hope. That's That's the thought. This hope that we have, It's not just hope generally doesn't disappoint. It's this hope does not disappoint. There's an article before hope, as far as I remember, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So he says, listen, there's an internal witness to the fact that we can be sure that this hope will take place. An internal witness. And that internal witness is the Holy Spirit, who, upon conversion, when we trusted Christ, was given to us. And when he was given to us, the love of God was poured out in our hearts by him. We understand we are loved, we are cared for. We understand we have a link to the Father, because when the Holy Spirit indwelled us, and we now cry, Abba, Father, because of it, Galatians 4 because of his work, um, Galatians 4, because this has taken place. We understand and we can appreciate God will bring his hope to fruition because we have an internal witness to the love of God. But there's an external witness. God has written it in history as well as written it on our hearts. For when we were still without strength, he says, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And he's going to bring to us a kind of equation, an extrapolation, we might say. Well, not only do we have this internal witness in our heart of God's love, that helps us to know that hope will not disappoint. But God in history has demonstrated his love to us when we were sinners, when we were without strength, when we were ungodly. Now people might die for a good person. For a righteous man, well, someone who just sort of follows the rules and so on, it's unlikely that we'll die for him. perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die so occasionally when we see something good in other people we think they're worthy to die for and we die for them but god god demonstrates his own love in in that while we were still sinners there was nothing in us god's love came out of himself out of his nature and character it flowed out it wasn't it wasn't drawn out as has been said Christ died for us. God's son paid the price. When we had nothing, when we were sinners, when we were ungodly, God demonstrated that love in history. Much more then. this is an argument from the lesser to the greater common type of argumentation in Hebrew thought. It comes you come across that the Lord does it and Paul does. It. Much more then. If, if that happened when we were sinners and ungodly and, and, and God was prepared, to show his love and show his hand in such a remarkable way by sending his own son to die for us, much more than having been justified by his blood. That's what it cost him. We shall be saved from wrath through him. If God's been willing to pay such a price for our salvation, he will see to it that we never come under his wrath. And if we were, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of a son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So there was a time when we were enemies. And God was willing to give his son to die on the cross for us. Therefore, we know by simple extrapolation, now we've been reconciled and brought near to God. Will he not save us by his life? I take it, we had a little discussion on his life. I take it that what's being spoken about is his present resurrection life. He's risen from the dead. He has completed the work. He's on the other side of death and judgment. And our life is hid with Christ in God, Colossians chapter 3. We are eternally linked to the risen life of Christ, and we shall be saved by that life from coming judgment. He is there, so we will be there. We did that, or he did that for us. So this is why we have hope in our present distress. This is why no matter what comes our way, we are warmed by The love of God. You know, you think of coming into a really cold room in the middle of winter and and everything is distressing and then someone lights a fire in the corner of the room. Well, the the fire in the corner of the room in these verses is the love of God warming us, thawing our hearts, helping us to understand that there's joy, there's color, even in tribulations and suffering. Now, we mentioned Jordan Peterson, the famous canadian uh psychologist Uh, and he would be big into the first couple of verses here you know tribulation it works character and so on but sadly jordan to the point when i'm uh, speaking although he has he tips his hat to christianity many times and and so on he he's not acknowledged the lord jesus as a savior and he he doesn't really have a christian worldview as such so he would say well yes okay We need to learn to endure suffering, build character, become uh, marked by by some kind of courage. And these are good virtues. Um, But he didn't go any further than that. Whereas a Christian can go a lot further. We are not only encouraged by the fact that there's a purpose in our suffering, we're also warmed by the fact that God's love is with us. God is with us in our suffering. You'll remember the three when they were put into the fiery furnace and there was the son of God with them in the, that fiery furnace and so on. Yet yeah, that, that's what we have. We have something far greater. So we have joy. We we have a boast. That's the thought. We have a glory in tribulations also. Now, finally, we've thought of uh, glorying in tribulations. Our future hope and glorying in our present distress. What about glorying in our God? So it says in verse number 11, and not only that, here's another joy. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So the high water mark of our joy is this we have been brought close. To God, we're in relationship with the living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Now, what's this reconciliation? Well, to be reconciled is a lot more than simply being righteous before God. We have been made righteous. We have the 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 problem has all been. Dealt with. There's a clear sky between our soul and God. We have peace with God. We've been brought into this standing uh, of grace. But now we've been brought into the arms of our God. You, you remember the, the the picture of the father, and he runs to embrace his wayward son as he comes back repentant from the far country, in Luke chapter fifteen. And that's really what seems to be happening here. Here we have the Lord, and God is reconciled. We're reconciled to God, and it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord that's done that work. It's the Lord that's brought us back. It's He's the the sheep, or He's the Shepherd, I should say, with the sheep on His shoulders, and He's brought us back. If we morph those two pictures right to the Father's house. We combine those two pictures. Through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, how is this possible? It's possible because that barrier has been removed. God's righteous throne is satisfied by the payment of the propitiatory work of Christ. The sacrifice upon the altar. It's It's possible because we are now peace with God. It's possible because our Lord Jesus, he is a mediator. Now, notice there's two directions to his mediatorius, his mediatorship. And this verse, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're joying in God and it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through him that we, we have our joy. And, and it goes to God, as it were, upward through our Lord Jesus. And it's the downward side of that as well. Through whom we have now received the reconciliation, he's the one who's brought us near. So there's a sense in which we rejoice through our Lord Jesus and we've received the reconciliation through our Lord Jesus as well. He is the great mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So I trust that's been helpful to you uh, today. Just to consider that with us. Um, what can we? How can we sum this up? Well, if we're justified, we're called to a life of rejoicing, not fear. That's keep that in mind. We can have a joyful hope with regards to the future, hope because we're assured of the glory of God. We can joy and hope in the present, even if we're going through distress and difficulty, because we know God has a purpose in it. Number four, we can appreciate that God's love is eternal. His Spirit helped us to understand this when we were converted. The cross witnesses to God's love. So we know we have nothing to fear in the future. If he did this when we were far away from him, how much more now that we're drawn near. We can confidently trust and rejoice in this relationship with God that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled to him. And so the courtroom scene ends. Answering the question, how can a man be right with God? We've discovered the main underlying problem was our righteousness, unrighteousness that we had. We need to be righteous right before God, and it's given to us by God. We're justified. Then, chapter 511 to 830, um, 840, I think it is, could be called God's classroom. And the, answer, the question that's being answered in that section is not how can a person be right with God, that's justification, but how can a person be transformed into the image of God's Son? That's sanctification. That's the next big section of the Romans guilt through grace to glory. May the Lord bless what we've discussed and considered over the last six sessions. I trust you will be blessed. And if you do find the podcast helpful, let me know, because it really it helps me to know if people are listening to it. Uh, so thank you again. I uh, appreciate that, uh, your kindness in relation to all these things, and I trust you will be blessed. Lord bless you. Just that's us for now.